Thank you, Chanel, for that beautiful reading. If we haven't met, my name's Annie. It's so good to be with you this morning. I recently went on my first ever silent retreat. I was going to spend 48 hours in total silence, lips sealed. And when I told my friends that I was going to do this, there were maybe a couple of them who were excited for me. They were, I think, you know, hoping that I would be a good guinea pig to see is this a good idea? Is this like something useful? But most people looked at me as if I was about to make a horrible mistake. Everyone was worried about what I was going to do all day on my silent retreat. And this was like a group retreat, so loads of us were going to be there in silence together. And the main question that came up for people is, what happens at dinner time? Do you just have to all sit there and listen to the sound of each other chewing? And the answer is yes, basically. And people were just like, why? Like, why would you do this to yourself when there's so many better things you could do with a Saturday? Um, but we're in a series called Habits to Hear from God. And today I want to speak to you about the habit of silence. And we've picked up our passage in the middle of a story. And it's the story about how God has chosen a particular group of people to bless the rest of the world, to be his representatives on earth, to be set apart and to live in a different way. That this group of people would be looking to God so that they would know how to live. And the idea was that as they look to God to know how to live, they would set up their society and their families and their work in such a way that everyone would thrive, justice would reign, and God would be with them. But a bit of a problem has arisen for this group of people because they live in a part of the world and in a time where there's lots of different religions around them, lots of different ways of life. And they've started to worship other gods and to look to other ways of life. And in particular, the queen, her name's Jezebel, she's convinced the king and the rest of the people to worship a god called Baal. And there had been a few people who'd spoken out. They were called prophets, and they're not necessarily like fortune teller prophets, but they're people who call out the reality of a situation. And they've been saying, if we worship Baal instead of our own god, how could we expect our God to use us to bless the rest of the world? If we worship Baal instead of our own God, how will we know what our God is saying to us, what he's asking us to do? If we worship Baal instead of our own God, isn't it kind of offensive to the God who's created us? But each time they speak out, these prophets get killed and in our passage, we meet a prophet who's still standing, and he's still standing for God. He's been praying that the people of God would turn back to God. Just before we pick up our story, Elijah has just seen this amazing miracle. He wanted to prove to everyone once and for all that Baal was a false god, just a concept who was going to be no use to them and that their own God was powerful, was interested in them, and was supreme over everything. 
So Elijah sets up a challenge. There are 450 prophets of this god Baal, and there's only one prophet left of, his, of Elijah's god. And so Elijah sets up a challenge. He says, we're all going to come to the same place at the same time, and you 450 prophets of Baal, you guys are going to pray to your god that your god would send fire. And then I'm going to pray to my god that my god would send fire. And we'll see who wins. So the prophets of Baal go first. They pray and they pray and they wail and they dance. And then there's this eerie sentence that's written where it says, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And then it was Elijah's turn to pray to his God. Elijah prays and suddenly there's fire. And Elijah thinks, surely that's enough to convince the people. Surely that's more than enough evidence. How else could he possibly have called down fire from the sky unless this God was real and wanted to show up? But as we heard in the beginning of our reading, Queen Jezebel remained firm. She heard about all of this and refused to believe that Elijah's God was worth worshipping. She sent a message to Elijah that basically says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah runs far, far away. He actually runs 100 miles. I don't know how far you would run if someone was giving you death threats, but I would not make it 100 miles. But somehow, Elijah does. And then he goes on a further 40-day journey in total isolation. So Elijah totally beats my two days of silence. I don't know how you feel about going on a 40-day silent retreat in the middle of a crisis. Introverts are like, yes, please. That sounds lovely. But whether you love silence or you hate it, I think there's something that we can learn from Elijah's method of praying to God in silence. Elijah is hungry to seek the presence of God. And I think there's some challenges that we get in silent prayer. So are you up for a challenge? Anyone? Yes, we've got to be up for a little challenge. Okay, so the first challenge that we get in silent prayer is that silence challenges us to get honest. Has anyone watched the Tinder swindler? Yes. <laughs> so if you haven't watched the Tinder swindler, the Tinder swindler is a true story. It's a documentary. You can find it online. I wouldn't totally recommend it. But the Tinder swindler is basically this guy, and he pretended to be the perfect boyfriend. He was a diamond jeweler. He, was a, he lived like a jet-set lifestyle, would travel all around the world. And then he goes on dating apps to find a, a new girl to date. Um, and he like, you know, takes them on really nice dates, really nice restaurants, gives them loads of really nice stuff. Um, and then a few months into dating him, when they start to trust him, he then asks them if he could borrow some money. But it's not just some money, it's like a lot of money. But because it's his new girlfriend and she's like really in love with him and all of that, he manages to convince this girl to, that she could take out a loan or take out some, a lot of credit cards um, to lend him the money. And then what he does is he steals the money 
and uses that money to do the same thing to the next girl. And it's this like insane, horrid, profit-making scheme. Hopefully none of us in this room are like identity fraudsters to that level. If you are, we can talk about it. <laughs> but we do all know, I think, what it's like to be one thing on the inside and a different thing on the outside. And the truth is that I find myself tempted to pretend, even to God, that I'm something different than I really am. I started going to church for the first time when I was at university. And whilst I started to have a relationship with God, I found it hard to have a relationship with other people at church. I looked around the room and I'd see all these people and I just thought, they are so holy. And I didn't think I matched up. So if I met up with people from church, I would tell them about parts of my life and then I would hold back loads of information about other parts of my life, like who I was dating or how much I was drinking or how chaotic my mind really felt. I assumed that if people knew about my real life, they would judge me. And it can feel hard to be honest before God. That's why I love Elijah's honesty in our passage. Elijah goes into the wilderness on his own. And I wonder if you've ever had a day like Elijah's, where all you could muster were those same words, I've had enough, Lord. Or I wonder if you've ever felt so depressed or suicidal, and you felt that God wouldn't be interested in you. Maybe that's been you this week or this year. But as Elijah lies down, alone in the wilderness, physically, spiritually, and emotionally exhausted. There's no words to say. It turns out that God knows exactly what he needs. Elijah actually gets my favorite visit ever from an angel in all of scripture. An angel wakes him up to the smell of freshly baked bread. That is legendary. I really want that. That is so good. Really, God is showing that he knows exactly what Elijah needs. He needs something physical, food and water. He knows that Elijah needs something emotional. Did you notice that the angel touches him to wake him up? Elijah needs to not feel lonely anymore. And he needs something spiritual. He needs direction for his journey. He gets fully cared for by God. Did you know that God's not only interested in the super spiritual parts of your life? He's interested in you, in all of you, in all of who you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's from this low, honest moment in Elijah's life that God sends him out to fulfill his purpose. If you think that God can't speak to you in those low moments, let me tell you that you are never so low that God can't speak to you. And you're never so low that God can't use you. Did you notice that there is one prayer that God refuses to grant? Which is when Elijah says, take my life, Lord. And God says, Elijah, I still have good plans for you. In his book, Abba's Child, 
Brennan Manning describes what it's like to get honest with God. He says, God calls us to stop hiding and come openly to him. God weeps over us when shame and self-hatred immobilize us. Yet as soon as we lose our nerve about ourselves, we take cover. Why? Because we don't like what we see. It's uncomfortable to confront our true selves. But the decision to come out of hiding is our initiation right into the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. It brings its own reward. When we stand in the truth that sets us free and live out of the reality that makes us whole. And I experienced that for the first time on an Alpha weekend, like an Alpha Saturday. Someone prayed for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it felt like all of the parts of my life that I'd been dealing with by myself were just laid out before God, laid out in front of me as well. And it turned out that God already knew. He already cared. He had been close and faithful throughout it all. And I wonder if there are parts of your life that you're hiding from God in prayer. I have this friend who carries around a notebook with her and it's full of her random thoughts, prayers. At any moment, she just writes down her honest thoughts. Maybe you could do that. Maybe you could take notes on your phone of things that you, when a thought comes into your head, oh, maybe I could just say that to God. Maybe I could just make a note of that. Maybe I could just log the things I'm saying to God and come before him as you really are. And as we observe Elijah, we see another challenge. We see how silence challenges us to seek God's presence. So Elijah is sent on this 40-day journey to Mount Horeb. Now, weirdly enough, this mountain has two names, and the other name you might have heard before. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai, which is where Moses had met with God years and years before. It was on Mount Sinai that Moses, that God established his covenant with his people, that he gave the Ten Commandments that would show the people how to live. But even in Moses' day, lots of the people were still turned away from God. They worshipped statues that they had made. And when that happened, Moses went up to the mountain by himself and asked to see the glory of God. Moses wasn't content with just seeing miracles and signs and wonders. He wanted the presence of God. And so when Elijah wants the presence of God, he goes to the place where he knows God can be found. And this day, God doesn't show up in a spectacular miracle. He could have shown up in the wind or the fire or the earthquake. He's shown up in all of those ways before. And Elijah's seen it firsthand. But it's like God saying to Elijah, the point of those spectacular miracles isn't that people would see a spectacle. The point of those spectacular miracles is that I draw near to my people. And when that requires fire, I send fire. And when that requires that people realize it's not all about the fire, I come in a gentle whisper. God is the same in both instances. And Elijah could recognize his voice. I think over the past six months or so, a lot of us 
um, in our church have been sensing that God is calling us to seek him in a different way. And over the past few months, I've been getting involved with our students at HTV. And I have to say, I've been totally challenged and convicted by them. There is a group of 20 and 21 and 22-year-olds in our church who just want to worship Jesus. They're not interested in hype. They're not interested in the cult of the celebrity Christian. They're not interested in anything fancy. They just want Jesus. And they gather together to run their own worship nights in their uni accommodation just so that they can seek the presence of God longer with one another. And I am longing to see hundreds and hundreds of students across London in the next year encountering Jesus for the first time and having their lives transformed. But I'm actually becoming more and more convinced that this group of students who worship Jesus on their own have already got it covered. They already know the way forward, seeking God's presence and trusting him with the rest. God is calling us as a church not to seek a spectacle, but just to seek him. So I wonder if we can try something this week. Maybe when we feel like we really need a sign this week, or we really need a miracle, or something extraordinary, maybe we could take seriously Jesus' teaching on prayer. He says, go into your room and pray to your Father in heaven. Simple as that. Maybe it's 10 minutes before work. Go and pray, come Holy Spirit, or open the Bible, or pray one of the Psalms, whatever works for you. But I wonder what that would look like for us. Shall we take seriously that challenge to seek the presence of God? So silence challenges us to get honest, to seek God's presence, and finally, it challenges us to get humble. I wonder if you noticed that the source of Elijah's frustration was when he says, I'm no better than my ancestors. What he means is that it's frustrating that all his efforts as a prophet, all the prayers he's prayed, all the prayers that God has answered, that the obvious display of God's power, that none of that was enough to convince the king or queen or anyone in the land to turn back to God. I wonder if you've ever felt like your efforts as a Christian are just a bit pointless. Maybe it feels like no matter how much you pray, no matter what you do, no matter how convincingly you tell people about Jesus, no matter how much God reveals himself, that no one seems to turn to God. Elijah was humbled. And I think he realized at that moment that whilst he had a significant role to play, that he wasn't the prophet who would save the world. In silence, we realize that we come with very little to offer, that our prayers are only powerful because of the one who hears them. And I know it's the middle of August, but I love Christmas. And it reminds me of my favorite Christmas carol. In the last verse of In the Bleak Midwinter, it says, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I will give my heart. 
as Elijah realizes that his efforts haven't led to a revival yet, what follows this passage is God giving Elijah some very clear instructions that he needs to go and anoint two new kings and to anoint a new prophet to succeed him. God is revealing to Elijah that whilst it may feel like Elijah has failed, God certainly hasn't. God still has a plan. So shall we come before God this week with empty hands, trusting that he'll have it covered? And we can know that he has it covered because as we read the stories of Elijah and of Moses on Mount Sinai, we see a consistent story of a people turned away from God and a consistent story of a God who longs to meet with his people. And hundreds of years later, there's another man who's also called a prophet who goes up onto this same mountain, Mount Sinai, to the same spot where Moses and Elijah had met with God. Jesus goes there and he takes his closest three friends And in their account of what happened, it says this. There Jesus became transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Then a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is the answer to the frustration of Moses and Elijah that no one would turn back to God. Jesus is the answer. For every part of us that is turned away from God, Jesus died to reconcile us to him. He died to draw you back to your father. In Jesus, you've been set free from the tyranny of hiding away. You can come before him with all that you are and know that you're unconditionally and totally loved by him. So this week, shall we take up the challenge of Elijah to try his method of silence in prayer, to seek him wholeheartedly, to come before him with honesty and humility and hand it all back to God? Because in Jesus you're saved. Amen. We're going to take